Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Inclusive Class Podcast. Through interviews and discussions, it's our goal to explore the promise and practice of inclusive education. I'm Nicole Erdix, and I'm one of your hosts for the show. I'm a parent, inclusion teacher, and creator of the online resource, theinclusiveclass.com. And joining me here on the Inclusive Class this morning is my co-host, Terry Morrow. Hi, Terry. Good morning, Nicole, and welcome to all our listeners. I am Terry Morrow. I am the author of 50 Ways to Support Your Child's Special Education, and I write about special needs for about.com at specialchildren.about.com. I'd like to mention to anybody out there listening to us live that we're not taking phone calls, uh, and the chat room also is not open. Let me see. I will try to do that if you want to check into it. But um, I'm not at my peak today because, uh, as anybody who follows me on Facebook knows, I gave up coffee for Lent, as I do every year, and uh, it's. I am currently drinking a cup of herb tea, which is doing absolutely nothing for me. So if I, if I drift off at some point during the uh, broadcast, you will know that it's lack of caffeine, and you're going to have to deal with this for me for 40 days. So how are things going where you are, Nicole? Well, I haven't given up my coffee, so... <laughs> so, so you're in charge of making sure charge. that the conversation continues. Oh, I was wishing that herb tea would kick in. <laughs> yeah, this morning yeah there's, nothing, there's nothing here to kick. It's no, water. Well, it's flavored water. <laughs> We're going to need you this morning, Terry, because I'm not sure where our guest is right now. We... Uh, we were looking forward to having Howard Glasser join us this morning, and I have not. Um, we haven't seen him come up on the uh, the call-in screen. So, hoping he'll phone yes. in some point soon because he that has. That would be wonderful. A, well, he has such I, a great topic to talk about. Yes, I really love yeah. his program. I am a total fangirl for the Nurtured Heart approach. And mm-hmm. so I'm always thrilled when we get him on and, and can talk to him about it. It's something that, you know, of all the things that we try as parents of children with special needs, I think most mm-hmm. of us throw a lot of stuff at the wall. Uh, and, and this is one of the things that stuck for my family. Yeah. And it's really that I can go back and trace that this was a turning point. This was something that that worked well for us in, in our home and which I was able to share with his teachers and that made – you know, such a difference just to to turn the whole disciplinary procedure from negative to positive, and to to, to view the whole behavior management thing as not, um, you know, fixing problems but identifying strengths and uh, and so paying what, more what, attention to the good stuff than the bad stuff. So is that um, basically the premise of the nurtured heart? I mean, I don't want to give the show away in case yeah, he calls in or he comes back. I could but easily what, talk for half an hour on it uh, because it's been so successful for us. But I, I would like to hope that we can get him back another day and mm-hmm. uh, talk to, to the guru in person about it. But, yeah. you know, essentially it says that, um, you know, children want our attention, whether it's negative or positive. And right. if we spend a lot of time giving negative attention, then that is what they will go for. Uh, yeah. And it's in plus which constantly dealing with negative things makes you as a parent feel negative also. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, we've all come to that point where you just feel, I don't know what to do with this kid. My life is, you know, our life is miserable. It's terrible. It's terrible. When, in fact, 
you know, a lot of things are going right. It's just easier to focus on the the, the negative things and give give them our energy. Uh, mm-hmm. So he recommends giving just very short, unemotional attention to the bad things and giving tons of energetic Positive. attention to the good things, even if you yeah. say, well, my kid doesn't do any good things. What, find him doing when he's not doing a bad thing. Even if you can see he's just sitting there planning his next bad thing. Yeah. Say, hey, Joey, I see you're just sitting there. I'm really, I really like the way you're sitting, you know, or yeah. I really like the way yeah. you're resisting doing that bad thing. Uh, yeah. And and so that then they 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 equate it to a video game, whereas if, which kids love. If you're mm-hmm. playing a video game, as long as things are going well, you're getting tons of rewards and input and excitement and stimulation. And when you do something wrong, boop, goes off for a second. You maybe lose some points, and then it starts right back up, and you keep going. Uh, yeah. You know, it doesn't lecture you for 45 minutes about the stupid move you just made. It, you know, it doesn't make you go sit in a chair. It just says, oops, the fun stopped. Okay, let's yeah. start it again. So yeah. you get used to, I want to keep doing the good things and I want to avoid the bad things. And so you want to just sort of make that the way you deal with your child and, and his behavior, his or her behavior. So this is, you know, something that originally was proposed for families and then it's been, he's written books about using it in schools which mm-hmm. I think would be hugely effective, but good luck convincing. Well, it's kind of <laughs> I mean, interesting because people... it, it sounds like a concept that, you know, in teachers speak we call positive reinforcement. Right. And I know for, for me that is a huge classroom management tool that, you know, is such an integral part of, you know, my teaching um, approach. And I know that, and I've seen it work, I mean, I've, you know, over the years I've worked in some mm-hmm. very challenging schools where children, you know, have come from many different um, home lives and many different backgrounds. And, you know, you are you really have to sort of use your bag of tricks to yes. <laughs> bring the class yes. together. And the one thing that has always worked has been this concept of positive reinforcement where every yeah. little thing well, I shouldn't say every little thing because that takes a lot of energy, but it's true. In the beginning, it does take a lot of energy on the parent's mm-hmm. part, so it's a yes. commitment for the parent, right? It's, yes, you know, it definitely I, is, and it yeah. is a lot of work at first to, to yeah. try to manufacture these positive moments, Yeah, you know, yeah. even when your kid is not having many. You you make well, them happen. And I know uh, that... But in, it's, it's still, I still think that it's less energy than blowing up five times a day oh. because something bad has happened. You have to look at it that way. How much are you expending in that direction? Expend that same amount in the other direction and leave leave the bad alone. Yeah. No, I've just seen it work so many times in that situation, you know, where it's Mm -hmm. like, wow, you know, I I really appreciate how you're looking at me right now while we're talking. Or (laughs) I really like the way you handed the pencil to your friend and not threw it. Yes. Yes, absolutely. You, know, you manufacture a, them until yeah. they're doing them yeah. For, yeah. for real. And he does, yeah, I think it sounds to a lot of people, people who are real hardline disciplinarians, which would include a lot of experienced teachers, mm-hmm. unfortunately. Mm-hmm. You know, it sounds weak. It sounds like mm-hmm. you're letting them get away with stuff. It sounds like you're patting mm-hmm. them patting them up artificially. Um, mm-hmm. But as you say, it works, you know, yeah, and it works it better. than. And, I mean, there's certainly there are kids who will, who will perform beautifully out of fear of punishment. I would yeah. lose that kid, you know. But for the ones who don't, <laughs> then you got to come up with a different approach and everybody well, will will respond to nurturing. Um I, and I think so too. I mean, even in my own personal life, I you know, I think about the people that I 
you know, respond to and want to do things for are the people that give me positive feedback and say, yes. wow, that was a really great job. Can you do that yes. again? Exactly. <laughs> and and like, I mean, sure. I think. When do you want that I done by? It, Five minutes? <laughs> right, exactly. So, you, you know, know, and as adults, I think if you ask most adults, would you rather have a boss who is constantly yelling mm-hmm. at you and constantly mm-hmm. docking your pay and punishing you mm-hmm. and making fun of you in front of other people, or would you rather have a boss that's constantly giving you good yeah. feedback? Yeah. Of course, you would do anything for the boss that does well, the positive stuff, and you would quit the other job. So why do we do this with kids? Exactly. And I know that a lot of my teacher friends would say, you know, it, like you said, it's an artificial concept because in the real mm-hmm. world we don't get all these positive reinforcements constantly. <laughs> well, we actually, we totally do. We know, you know what we do in so many ways. I mean, we get yes. discounts for good driving. We get discounts yes. for, you know, all sorts of various things for bringing in a coupon to the store. I mean, yes. Well, I mean, know, we get paid to do a job. We get paid that's, to do a job. That's positive reinforcement. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> now, most yeah. of us would not do our jobs for free. Yeah. Um, um, I wrote a little article get... on my website, oh, gosh, I think probably about a year ago about the concept of positive reinforcement. People can go back to that, too, and have a look at it. I mean, it was just a very brief article, and I would love to explore it more at some point, too, because yeah. it just, you know, like I said, I think it really does do, a, you know, do kids a service. And the teacher, too, <laughs> and parents, yes. you know, like and you if, said, the uh, energy that goes out. For those interested in this, also, if you go to my uh, site, it's specialchildren.about.com, and search um, Nurtured Heart. You can find some book mm-hmm. reviews and some uh, articles about uh, the, that approach. And also, if you go onto my website at um, uh, motherswithattitude.com and mm-hmm. look at the behavior plan for fetal alcohol effects, I worked a lot of nurtured heart approach stuff into that, so you can see kind of how you might propose that to teachers nice. uh, using that. And for teachers, you just need to Google the words positive reinforcement. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you can, you know, come up with a lot of yeah. strategies and ways to use that. But that that was really key in in terms of helping me as a teacher work with children who are challenging. So I guess we don't really want to give away Howard's entire show in case he no. comes back. So <laughs> well, I although I know will, we could so both talk was... at great lengths about yes, we about enjoyed it, talking so. to him the last time, and uh, I was looking forward to talking to him again. So yeah, yeah. So we'll we'll have to. I don't know. We'll have to um, make sure somehow he gets on the show again. And yes. uh, in the in the meantime, you and I were sort of chatting about some various news stories that were coming up in the news. Yeah. Recently. In a way, yeah, I guess you... this nurtured heart approach might work for some of these situations too. It, indeed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Clearly, it's not being used in the latter one we were talking about. So, um, what was now? You had something about a, a kindergarten for boys. Yeah, well, it it was, I mean, and this is, you know, this the news always, you know, const, I shouldn't say constantly, but it's almost always negative when you're hearing it in the news. And um, I don't necessarily want to focus on the negative, but uh, this article came up in my news feed this morning from the Globe and Mail newspaper out of Toronto. And while the first section of it I don't necessarily agree with, it's about boys playing with guns and how that could be perceived as developmentally okay because boys will be boys. That's something I have a totally different view on. However, it then led into the uh, argument that kindergarten and, you know, the early grades of school in particular are just simply not designed for boys, period. You know how... Um, and I know I can hear you saying... <laughs> yeah, I hear that. I mean, like... Um, yeah. 
but just in terms of the way a lot of kindergartens are set up, that, you know, this, and I know, I remember we talked to Lindsay Beal about this with the whole mm-hmm. sensory uh, conversation that we had and how kids are just right. not developmentally ready for a lot of these expectations we have on them when they enter the yes. school system. For example, circle time, the dreaded circle yes. time, right? Well, kindergarten, mm-hmm. there's a lot of sitting at the carpet during kindergarten. Yes, yes, and, <laughs> and that is and, a problem. And it just developmentally does not work for a lot of kids, and especially with boys and their need to physically mm-hmm. move. And and in order to learn a lot of, you know, if you talk to a lot of people who are into this brain-balanced um, yes. concept, I don't know if you've heard of that, that boys need to move in order to process and to learn. So, mm-hmm. yeah, this article even comes up with um, a study which was published in the Journal of Human Resources which compares standard standardized standardized test scores, can't even get that word out, of thousands of kids in kindergarten through grade five. And mm-hmm. overall, girls performed outperformed boys on reading tests. However, the boys did outperform girls on science and math, which we've heard that before. Yes. But however, um, you know, there's this constant referral to girls as being um, stronger academically because their behavior was, considered to be part of their academics. Yeah. So, you know, the teachers saw the behavior and the academics as one kind of component, do right. you know what I mean? Yes. And, you know, girls are better at sitting still, paying attention, cooperating, and those are all traits that teachers tend to, you know, value because it, <laughs> I shouldn't say a value, but, you know, those are traits that we kind of appreciate a lot. Hey, that's what got one of my kids through school with decent grades. Exactly. (laughs) If you behave well enough, maybe they'll give you a better grade. That's that's in the foundation. I know. (laughs) For academic success, don't knock that. (laughs) Yeah, I know. And it's true. When you have a large group of children, really, do you want them Uh all, you know what I mean? There's a safety issue there. There's a (laughs) a huge component. It's tough, uh, you know, from the perspective of, of a teacher, but... I just totally, yeah. I get and I can relate to the fact that maybe we need to start looking at the way our kindergartens are structured because especially now with the whole, you know, testing and, uh, you know, certain standards have to be met at certain times. I don't know. It just doesn't seem to work. And I yeah. I looked at this I mean, article it, and I went, huh, that, that makes sense a bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The thing is it assumes that all boys are exactly the same, which is, of course, not true. And it assumes that, that all true. girls are exactly the same, which is, of course, mm-hmm. not true. There are mm-hmm. boys for whom kindergarten works. There are girls for whom kindergarten does not. So yeah. The thing is not let's get all the boys out of there because it can't meet their expectations. It's let's have choices, you know, yeah. let's say. Yeah. And the thing is it does work for some kids. There are some mm-hmm. kids who love to sit nice and still on the circle while the teacher tells a story. We need to not throw out what works for them. Mm-hmm. This is what tends to happen. It's like, oh, there's some kids that don't respond to this, so we're going to completely redo this and do it a completely different way. Well, then you have the kids for whom it was working now have a system yeah. that doesn't work for them. I, yeah. You know, I see this with my kids who are very good at rote memorization, but we don't do rote memorization anymore. Mm-mm. But no. some kids learned through memorization. Well, and can we I not say that we had anymore? a conversation. I think we had a conversation a while back yeah. with um, a yeah. guest who was very 
anti-rote memorization, and it was like, I think but, we had that, that work? conversation <laughs> after she went off the air. <laughs> yeah, okay, maybe we did. <laughs> I think that was okay. my disgruntled remarks after, but, um, but you know, so, yeah. so it's like, what? Can, and in a way, this is this goes into our topic of inclusion, because when you start to bring students with disabilities into the classroom, you have mm-hmm. to rethink the way those things are done. Yeah. And, you know, if if there are kids who physically cannot sit in circle time, you have to think, how can we do this in a way that works for a larger population of students? Or maybe yeah. half the class goes to circle time, half the kids go out, half the class goes outside. Yeah. You know, or the ones who want to go to circle time can do it. Maybe there's, you know, multiple ways to do things, and yeah. inclusion is only going to help that. You know, yeah. it's going to make people say, we have to rethink this. Well, and rather than segregating more, you know, by yeah. saying, okay, we're going to have the disabilities here, the boys here, the girls here, the you know, the kids who can afford the expensive school over here, and yeah, we have well, five hundred different classes. The two things I want to say about that too, in in sort of wrapping up that that topic, is that, um, you know, first of all, I hate to see teachers oblivious to this, though, yeah. right, to this concept yes. that. You know, all kids need to be sitting still. All kids need to be um, sitting up straight and hands folded on their desk and looking at the teacher and paying attention all the time. I hate to, you know, I just, it it drives me nuts when I see teachers that are totally oblivious to the needs of the kids. You know, when they're all fidgeting and moving around, it's like, come on, move on. You know, change the pace, right? That's another one of those things that they'll say, well, you have to do that in the real world. And you totally don't. Mm-hmm, Nobody mm-hmm. sits still at an office, even in an office. Even if you have mm-hmm. a desk in the middle of an office, you got a cup mm-hmm. of coffee, you got a donut, you talk to your coworker every now and then, mm-hmm. you talk you go into the water cooler, you play solitaire <laughs> on your computer, you go to the water cooler. You're moving yeah. around all the time. No adult yeah. would want to work in an environment where they had to sit still with their hands folded. We would quit. Yeah. But kids so can't. I guess, yeah, and so I guess the message is for parents is that, you know, if you've got a child right now that's really struggling with certain situations in their classroom, you know, just you know, rather than looking at their uh, behavior as being something negative, and this also goes back to our conversation with Lindsay Beale a while back, is look at the environment and look at, you know, how it's structured and how the kindergarten's structured. And I'm not saying go in there and attack the teacher and, you know, what are you doing wrong with your programming, but it's not necessarily the child, you know, 100% of the time. There's also an issue with the way the program's set up, the way the classroom is set up, the way, um, you know, things are run. And, like you said, it works that situation does work for some kids and some kids it doesn't. So if you have a Hello there. <laughs> Do we just have dead air? I don't think Nicole is here anymore either. So uh, we will just continue vamping while I try and get in touch with her. I am now on my cell phone, so let me try to talk to her on another uh, phone. Um, oh, here's 
sounds like she's back. Hello? Hello. Hi there. Well, Hi, Terry. Adventure in broadcasting. What was that? <laughs> Did you hear anything? Well, suddenly you went out, and then um, I thought that, uh, and then a noise came on, like, you know, a beeping noise that somebody, a phone call needs to be hung up. So I hung you up, and then it kept on. So apparently it was me. So I hung you up for no reason. And oh. then I had to hang myself up, and I called back in on my cell phone. So uh, this okay. way, do we think above or below an embarrassment to getting somebody's self uh, uh, answering machine message? <laughs> I don't know. I It was the weirdest <laughs> thing. All of a sudden, somebody came... Somebody came what? Somebody came on talking about Internet speed. Did you hear that? No, you wouldn't have no, heard that. No, I did not hear that. I think that's possibly when I hung up on you. Oh, okay. But you were the wrong person. <laughs> I should have hung up on myself. <laughs> okay. So did you keep talking? Did you keep rolling with our conversation? I, I kept rolling along until I realized that I was the problem, and so I hung up, and then we had some dead air. And then I came back on going, well... So okay. this is just a successful broadcast all around. Our guest doesn't show up, we talk amongst ourselves, and then we hang ourselves up. So. <laughs> I think that's what makes us very unique. <laughs> I, I think I said to somebody once, because they were saying, well, you know, sometimes I hear a dog barking in the background of your broadcast, and sometimes I hear a door <laughs> shutting. And I'm like, well, you know what? <laughs> we are a grassroots organization. <laughs> We are not we could ask you all to chip in for uh, for money for us to have a fancy studio, but we don't. So <laughs> we don't. So we you're getting what you get. <laughs> yes. Oh, oh well. Case, okay. A whole lot of dead air, and now about ten minutes of talking about the dead air. Um, so yes, I was okay. attempting when I was talking to myself, which I'm not sure I was even on the air at that point. I think you were on the air, and I hung you up. So. Um, oh my gosh. So our, our audience is probably hung up, is probably stopped this by now and is no longer with us and thinks the broadcast is over. So okay. we can talk about anything we want. Well, but I was segueing um, when I thought I was talking by myself into the story of the girl who had her shoes duct taped on by a teacher. Oh, um, yeah. Let me hear about that. Speaking of or, speaking of teachers who don't have control over things or who are oblivious to the way things are going to look. Yeah. Um this was a little girl with Down syndrome in, I believe, a, a special education class who had had mm-hmm. a problem, depending on the report I read, either keeping her shoes on or putting her shoes on when told to. Uh, and I, it sounds, I don't think we have an actual explanation, but it sounds like the teacher just snapped and said, dang it, you're going to keep those shoes on, and duct taped them to her socks. Oh, uh, came home this way, could barely walk off the bus, and her parents, of course, as any of us would do, exploded because you don't duct tape my kid. And, of course, when they pulled the duct tape off, it ruined the shoes as duct mm-hmm. tape. Uh, and it got me thinking about we had a very similar situation with my son when he was in fourth grade. He kept flipping his shoes off, and his paraprofessional apparently told him like a dozen times an hour to put his shoes back on. When it seems to me it would have been easier to either just let him leave the shoes off or tell his mother hey, put some shoes on that this kid can't slip out of, because I had mm-hmm. in the past sent him in boots and I could have done it again. But instead mm-hmm. it just became this constant thing, and his behavior got worse. Gee. Yeah, I <laughs> wonder why. Most of us <laughs> would respond well to being nagged to do something 12 times an hour. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I didn't find out about it until the next year when he had a teacher who said, I don't care if he has his shoes on as long as he's sitting and listening to me. What do I care? <laughs> you know? Right, right, exactly. So, um, 
it got me thinking that that story in our personal experience got me thinking about the way goals sometimes get made either formally or informally at school. Uh, sometimes it's the IEP goals that focus on something very specific that's not necessarily in the long-term interest of the kid right. or something, or, or the staff just informally sets itself a goal. And I think it's out of a feeling of there's so much about this kid we can't fix, but we can fix this thing. But the problem is if the kid doesn't want to fix that thing, you're not going to be able to fix that thing. And even though it seems easy, it's going to be hard, and you're going to be constantly nagging, and you're going to be constantly correcting to a point where you think that putting duct tape on a child's feet is a good idea. Um, mm-hmm. And I, I'm interested, from you as a teacher, how, how do those goals get made? How can parents have a voice in that? I mean, and we do the same thing at home. We totally do the same thing at home. You know, yeah. we'll say dang it, you are going to eat that broccoli, <laughs> even yeah. though really there's other ways to get those vitamins, and yeah. it's not that important. But it seems like a small thing, and so therefore when you cannot accomplish it, you become unhinged. Yeah, well, and I think a lot of those goals just come out of, uh, you know, what basically the state or the province deems to be, um, you know, a, an academic or a developmental goal at the time for that child. And, yeah. so they, you know, they tend to draw up this list of, standards for what we call typical, typically developing children. And then what they end up doing is looking at those standards and adjusting those to fit the child, right? So, for example, if in grade one the children are expected to learn, now I'm totally, this is not a true example, but this is just a, you know, brief example. If they're expected Uh to learn their alphabet, for example, and all the sounds for all 26 letters of the alphabet, then right. in an IEP meeting, you might sit down and say, okay, well, this child, you know, is having challenges with memory and, um, you know, cognitive development. Maybe we can get them to learn just one letter, right? Yeah. And then that's when you think, what? <laughs> Does that, you know, really? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, in one way, it can work really well, especially for those children where, you know, you think that that would make a lot of sense in terms of their uh-huh. where their development is leading and where they're going with their um, learning process. But mm-hmm. on another hand, you know, I think we also need to look at realistically, is this going to help the child down the road, right? Right. Or mm-hmm. it, it's very, um, in some ways it's a very subjective opinion, unfortunately, yeah. and this is where we really do need the input of the parents. And, you know, what are the parents' future goals for this child or what are the parents hoping that this child will be able to do five years down the road. If the parents are hoping that this child can read, then yes, let's put some of those goals in place. You know, let's learn those letter mm-hmm. sounds. But if we know or if, you know, there's indication that this child may not be able, you know, or will not be able to Ooh. attain this, and we can never say will not because who I, knows, right? I, yeah, I hate those so, judgments. They get made when kids are very, very young. And who's Exactly. Both my kids exactly. were never going to be able to go to college. They were never yeah. going to be able to in an inclusion classroom. They were never going to, you know, they had the test scores. Look, be realistic. But if they talk to you, for example, as as their parent, then you have, I mean, every parent has high hopes for their child, right? Yes. Well, they did talk to me, and it was the Mrs. Morrow. You have to understand. This is never going to happen. No, and that's the wrong approach. (laughs) That's the wrong approach, you know. I still resent that all these years later. Yeah, yeah, I I hear that in your voice. (laughs) I have not forgotten, Mrs. Burmaster, what you said to me. But, you know, I think 
that's where it starts, right? And you often see yeah. on the on the websites that there's this bank of IEP goals for kids, and I think that's a starting point, and I don't necessarily think that they need to be set in stone. You have to look at yes. what what could work for that child and mm-hmm. what the parents would like to see happen, and that's why you know, I constantly talk about and advocate for parents being involved with these IEP meetings, and that's why you talk about parents being involved with the school. Get involved, right. you know. Have your, yeah, have, I find have a voice. Some, yeah, sometimes no matter what is actually in the IEP, you can kind of go around it and work with the mm-hmm. teacher and say, you know, this is what I would like to happen. How can we make this happen? And I'm not convinced that people looked all that hard at the IEPs after it's printed out. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't seem like like it's a living document. Um, yeah, yeah. It's no, a lot that of times they it gets filed away. Yeah, they check off the boxes so that they can say they did it. But yeah, yeah. No, around. a lot of times it gets filed away, and then the teacher sort of, you know, oh my goodness, I have an IEP meeting this week. <laughs> oh, there we go. There's the well, bell. okay. We made it. We made it to the one uh, one minute thirty mark, Nicole. <laughs> we wound up standing long enough. With all our Great. little adventures, and uh, yes. I'm not even the, the host anymore, so uh, hopefully I can actually shut this down later on. But um, okay. anyway, let me read my little outro. That part we can do. Um, Nicole, thank you for being our guest today. You're, you're welcome. <laughs> and I <would> like, Likewise. <laughs> and I thank myself as well. Uh, and I would like to thank our listeners for tuning in our program this morning and sticking with us, I hope, if you're still there. Uh, yes. Please join us for next week's show. You can check www.theinclusiveclass.com to see who our next expert guest will be, we hope. You can follow the Inclusive Class podcast on Blog Talk Radio so you don't miss out on the show. You can also follow us on Twitter where Nicole tweets under the name Inclusive underscore class and I am at Mamatude, M-A-M-A-T-U-D-E. And finally, you can download our past podcasts for free on Stitcher and iTunes. Goodbye, everybody, and have a great week. Goodbye, Terry. Have a great week, everyone. Thanks. Enjoy your caffeine, everybody.